Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Destiny Church, good morning. How we doing? Come on, is it good to be in the house? I feel like y'all are a little quiet this morning, and y'all know I'm not quiet, so can everybody shout amen? Shout amen again. Come on, if you believe God's got a word today for you, shout amen. For those who may not know, my name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here, primary communicator here for the most part. And um, Destiny Church, for those who may not know, is one church found in two locations. So uh, we have a Marshfield location. Obviously, you know, you're sitting in it. And then we have a Republic location. And our lead pastors, Pastor Chad and Pastor Tasha, oversee that campus. Every once in a while, I go to that campus and communicate. That's where I was last week. But let me tell you. It's good to be back in the house. Pastor Ryan already touched on this, but any first-time guests, I want to personally say welcome. I actually put Mama Griff, my mama, on welcome card calls this week. So uh, if you got a call, I'm sure that was the call of your life. Uh, If you want Mama Griff to call you, fill out a welcome card. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've made this joke from stage a lot, but we, you know, we're, my family's from Rhode Island, so we have a 401 area code. I've had the same phone number since I was in middle school. So it's funny, because I'll call y'all, Christians, and y'all act rude, because you think I'm a telemarketer, and I say, yeah, this is the pastor, and you're like, oh, God bless you. How are you? Y'all need to keep coming to church, is what y'all need to do. <laughs> Hey, so this Wednesday, I, I came and communicated to the youth, had an awesome time. I love, I love coming and preaching with the youth and hanging out for the youth just every once in a while. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we just started a brand new series in youth called Stronger. And, you know, I, I, I think my heart, part of my burden for the youth, something for them to understand and receive, is you don't got to be 35 to serve Jesus well. You know what I'm saying? And I think I had that like, yeah, I'll get my life together when I'm older. No, no, no. God wants to do something in you through you right now, has good things for you right now. And and I think it's, I don't know, I, I know the teenage years and all that is a difficult time and you're maturing and there's a lot that goes into that. But, uh, I just love the opportunity to help them try and understand, listen, you can really do this thing faithfully right now. And so the key scripture of our series in youth, which is called Stronger, is from 1 Timothy 4.8, and it says physical training is of some benefit, but training in godliness is beneficial for this life and the next. And in the same way we can grow physically fit, physically, or we can uh, become more fit in our physical body, we can actually grow strong in our spirit too. But to see spiritual transformation, it takes spiritual training. Right, so that's, that's part of what this, um, you know, the whole series in youth is about. But I also shared this verse with them, and I felt like this verse was also fitting. I'm in Colossians 2. You know, it's not the key scripture, but it's one of them. It says this, Paul's writing to church. He says, and now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, that moment where you confessed with your mouth, where you believed in your heart, Jesus is Lord. We've had that moment. I'm sitting in a room probably full of believers. We've had the moment where we accepted Jesus as Lord. But then he goes on to say, you must continue to follow him. Continue to follow him. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. 
Paul is writing to Christians. And in the same in the same way, we have a church full of Christians who need to be reminded to continuously follow Jesus. Paul wrote to the church back then because apparently they needed to be reminded too. This isn't a once a week gig. This isn't a, I read the daily verse every once. Continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. This is, this is immersive and invasive. This is giving myself away. To build my life on something is to prioritize that very thing above all else. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him, and then your faith will grow strong. We can grow strong in spirit. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. You know, I think we love the idea that when we put faith in Jesus, he saves us from our sin. We love it change the trajectory of our eternity, that we're no longer bound uh, to eternal death, that being hell, but he rescues us. His blood is sufficient to cover my sin, and he gives me eternity with him in heaven. We love that. We love that salvation is a gift that we couldn't earn, but we receive by grace through faith, and I, I think much of the American church, we've got, we've got that first part of the verse, you accepted Jesus as Lord. We recognize him as creator. We, we recognize that he's God. But I think it's the statements that come after that sometimes we forget are there, right? Do we continue to follow him? Have we cultivated patterns in our lives that will ensure our roots will grow down deep into him? With these patterns, we have patterns in place that'll ensure our lives are being built on him. The relationship that Jesus desires to share with you and I is far more immersive and invasive than I think it's become for a lot of us in the room. I don't know, I feel like some of us, we have these casual encounters or relationships with Jesus and he wants all of you. You know, uh, my wife talked about this at the Embrace Conference, but you know, Jesus desires, he, he says, hey, if you give me your everything, I'll give you my everything. And that's not an even trade because my everything's far less than his, right? Yet he's willing to make it. Jesus wants us to follow him, to leave the old, to walk in the new, not, not to just think about him here and there, not to just read uh, a, a verse here and there, not to just worship in a building once a week on a Sunday morning, but he desires that we would really become disciples, that we would really follow him. You know, when, when we look at the text and when we think about that word disciple in this culture, you had rabbis who were teachers and you had disciples who were students. And that, that process was so personal and intimate. It was, it was relationship. It was the disciples are, are learning to read the scriptures with their rabbis and they're learning to treat people like their rabbis treat their people. And, and how do you think? And, and what's your philosophies on life? And I am... That discipleship rabbi relationship is about me becoming like you. And Jesus wants us to be his disciple, to form new patterns, to wholeheartedly and authentically follow Jesus. If I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus, if I'm going to follow Jesus, 
I'm gonna have to cultivate brand new patterns in my life that didn't exist before. Because what we'll find is as we look at the things of the kingdom, kingdom culture is opposite of the culture of the world. And Paul talks about this in the scriptures. He says the things of the flesh are in direct opposition to things in the spirit. So if I'm gonna follow Jesus, who's the king of a heavenly kingdom, his patterns are opposite of the world. No, we don't beat our enemies up. We actually love them, bless them, and pray for them. No, 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 we don't take to get. We actually give in this kingdom. If we're gonna follow Jesus well, it's, it's new patterns. We, we can't stay in earthly patterns and fleshly patterns and continue to follow Jesus. Yet my spirit mourns because uh, his church, which should be full of disciples who make disciples, uh, uh, think that sometimes our patterns communicate that we just follow Jesus every once in a while. And Jesus desires that this relationship would be far more immersive and invasive than we've been willing to make it. He wants us to follow him, to love him, to experience transformation by adopting his patterns. He gives us his spirit to help us do it. He's called us to be disciples and to make disciples. And, you know, as a staff, we've been talking about, I think the church has been really good at Sunday mornings. I think we've cultivated something that we all enjoy being a part of and and we're willing to commit our time to and we see the value in it. But I don't know that the American church, not even just Destiny Church, has done a great job of, you know, having bodies that produce uh, disciples. And so, you know, that's been a, it's a big topic of conversation at our, at our staff tables right now because it's like, I think, I think we're missing it. I, and some of that is on you. Some of that is on us, I think. But part of this message in this whole series that we've titled Follow is about starting this conversation of discipleship, that it has to become the priority of the house, that really this is a calling on Jesus to all believers what can we do to better prioritize the producing of disciples and the process of discipleship in our own house? We gotta figure it out because we need believers who have deep roots. So the entire intention of this series is really just that, uh, to start the conversation, to start prioritizing those things because as, as we continue to mention our corporate desire, our communal desire to be a company of kingdom people, to develop a kingdom culture, we will never develop a kingdom culture if discipleship isn't a priority in the house, right? So turn with me to Matthew 4. This is my key scripture for the day, for today's message. A moment in the scriptures we're all probably familiar with. But Matthew 4, starting at verse 18, it says this, one day... As Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus walks by, sees two brothers who are fishermen. This is their career. This is what they do to produce income in their life. And Jesus calls out to them, hey, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. And followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him. 
leaving behind the boat and their father behind. And the reality is, in the same way Jesus desired that these men leave the old and follow him, that they leave the familiar and they follow him, this call is still lingering and this desire is still lingering in the heart of the Father. And the Spirit is still whispering this to the heart of the people in his church, that we would follow Jesus and not only follow him, but that we would equip others to follow him well. So that's part of the conversation this morning. We're starting it in the next couple of weeks. We'll unfold that and what that looks like and how we can practically do that. And uh, I think it will be good. So let's pray. Jesus, we just uh, love you so much. God, we invite your spirit to prepare and prep our hearts for the seed of your word. That as the seed of your word goes forth, it would land on fertile ground, that it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to hear your word week to week. We don't just want to come in here and, and, and just say, that was good. That, and that, that was a good word. And that encouraged me. Father, we need to see people apply these truths to their lives. Uh, it's how we'll experience transformation. Your word says that those who hear the word but don't do the word are deceiving themselves. We don't want to be deceived. Uh, we want an authentic, genuine relationship with you. So cultivate that in us. Help us to receive this word. And I pray this church would continue to foster kids. In Jesus' name, amen. This story isn't entirely appropriate to be told by your pastor. But I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't need someone who's always right, but you definitely need someone who's always real, I think. I think that's important. So many of y'all know if you see me, I think it was uh, I think it was Jeremy Day the other day. You know, he texted me, I'm, I'm rolling through town in my car, and I love rap music. I've always loved rap music, okay? I love when I'm in the car alone. Like, my wife knows. My wife likes to talk in the car. Uh, this is like the very one time that I'm surrounded by speakers. I want to take full advantage of it. So we disagree on that. So when I'm in the car by myself, I compromise when we're in the car together. But when I get the glorious opportunity to be in the car by myself, you better believe. Come on, it's windows down and speakers all the way up. For sure. Now, a few years back, uh, you know, I was getting sanctified. I was growing in the Lord. I was, I was in full swing of this whole sanctification process. And the Lord had a lot of work to do on me. So he convicted me that, you know, you, you have to understand how often I listen to music, how often specifically rap music. You know, in my dorm room, it was constantly playing. In my car, it was constantly playing. I'm, where I would, when I would walk around, I have headphones and I am constantly listening to it. And I loved it. And the spirit convicts me. I want you to lay down all secular music. Now, I'm not saying this is for you and you have to do this. And it's not about rules and regulations. And we just, you know, we just sang a song about that. So by no means am I saying that's what you got to do. This is a conviction for me. And I think part of the reason I got that conviction is because of how immersed I was in naughty rap music. Uh, so rest assured, your pastor listens to two genres of music, worship music and Christian rap music. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Loopholes, baby. It's still obedience. Again, I'm not saying that's what you need to do. It's a conviction that the Spirit gave me. So I just, the only thing I listen to is worship music and Christian rap. But before I started, you know, really following Jesus, dying to the old and living in the new, really being obedient to the things that he put in my heart to do, regardless of how silly or ridiculous some of those things seemed, um, before I had really surrendered 
and, and was authentically following Jesus, I just thoroughly enjoyed naughty rap music. I just did. And some of y'all do too. <laughs> oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's not that I just enjoyed it, but it's that I immersed myself in it. Like it's all, I, probably more than anything else, it's all that I listen to. And even today, like sometimes I'll go to a, like a CrossFit competition or something like that, or I'll walk into a gym where they're playing loud music and you know, Lil Wayne will come on or Drake will come on. And I still know all the words. It's like, you know, branded in my brain. I, I know all of it. And honestly, it's kind of like, Lord, I didn't put it on, you know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> Father, this is not me. You know, this is so bad. That's actually true. I really feel like that. <laughs> but one of my favorite rappers, secular rappers that I listened to back in the day was a guy named J. Cole. Okay, I just loved J. Cole. Loved his, loved his style, loved his flair, loved his, loved his content. He was really good. I saw him live when I lived in Rhode Island, and uh, I was wearing, my, my friend was sit, sit, sitting next to me and had a Jordan shirt on. He's like, I see you in the Jordan shirt. I'm like, you're right next to me. That's basically me. Yeah. You know? And <clears throat> so when I'm 18 or 19 years old, I am in downtown Springfield one night. And whether I'm down there with a fake ID bar hopping is none of your business, okay? I'm walking down the sidewalk, and as I look up, I see a guy in front of me, and it's literally J. Cole. And I'm like, my brain's processing what's happening. I'm like, and it just comes out of my mouth without anything. I go, Cole? He goes, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, we just dap each other up. I'm like, dude. I'm like, I love your music, man. He's like, thanks, bro. I appreciate that. And security guard, his security guard's like, yeah, man, we got to keep rolling. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like trying to be chill, but kind of on the inside, I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> I start texting all my, all my boys. I'm like, y'all won't believe. Apparently, he was doing a concert downtown, and, and, and I just walked right by him. Um, but you, you know what would be an absolute preposterous claim for me to make. Yeah, I know, J. Cole. Yeah, we're close, <laughs> right? No, no, I was his fan. I was just a fan, had, a, had an interaction. But I feel like there's some of us who our whole interaction and intimacy with Jesus actually doesn't look a whole lot different than a quick high five on the street. And we're like, yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I made him Lord. But our relationship with Jesus is hardly more than a high five on Sunday morning that says, yeah, God, you're good. Can you imagine J. J. Cole daps me up on the street, says, yeah, bro, hey, hey, I'm on tour, man, come follow me. Yeah, come, come, spend, come spend three years with me. I'm going to teach you how to rap. I already know how to rap, bro. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's, that's bananas, yet there's this, this, there's this exchange. <laughs> there's this, you know, like, you want me to, like, I got a life here, you know? Like, but Jesus has this exchange with two sets of two brothers, and, and they're fishermen, and he yells out, hey, come follow me. And sometimes what we don't fully recognize is that Matthew 4 
happens after John 1. So I want to look at these two scriptures here as we continue the conversation this morning. John 1, Matthew 4 happens after John 1. Excuse me, so let's read. John 1, starting in verse 29. The next day, this is John the Baptist. Now, if you don't know about John the Baptist, John the Baptist has a prophetic gift. He has a role in uh, participating in announcing the coming of the Messiah. He will actually be part of the people who first recognize who Jesus is for who he actually is, the Christ, the Messiah. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus really hasn't even started his ministry at this point, okay? We haven't really seen people healed. He, he's, just, he's just coming out of uh, the wilderness or, or, or he's about to go into the wilderness. So look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about when I said a man's coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me because Jesus is eternal. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus didn't start existing when he popped out of Mary. He's always been there. All things were created through him. Okay, he's always existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally existed. A man coming after me is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed To Israel, John continues, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. I I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So as John is baptizing, there is a moment where he baptizes Jesus in the Father. God illuminates Jesus as the Messiah by, by, by uh, illustration of the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And John has eyes to see it so he knows this is the Messiah. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify he is the chosen one of God. John the Baptist recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. So the next day, He's already had this revelation. Jesus is the Messiah. The next day, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. So John had people who followed him, learned from him. John played this rabbi role to to some of his own disciples, okay? And and so it says the following day was again, uh, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, it's his two disciples. There goes the Lamb of God. Right When John's two disciples heard this, they're like, John, we love you, man, but that's a whole lot cooler. They started following Jesus. Jesus looked around, saw them following, said, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew Everyone say Andrew. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John said and that who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So there were two guys standing with John the Baptist. One of them is named Andrew, and him and, and the other disciple, they leave and start following Jesus. Okay. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, who we're gonna find out is Peter. So Andrew 
went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. So there was Andrew and some guy who we don't know who it was. Andrew follows Jesus. He's like, wow, this really is the Messiah. Then he goes and gets his brother Peter, okay? Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Simon, Peter, same, same thing. Looking intentionally at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, so he was not yet in Galilee. Okay, do we see that? He found Philip and said to him, come and follow me. So Jesus interacts with another guy named Philip, tells Philip to follow him. Jesus is recruiting, he's building a team, okay? So that was John 1. We see Andrew, John the Baptist tells Andrew, yeah, there goes the Lamb of God, there goes the Messiah. Andrew spends some time with him. He goes, man, you really are the Messiah. He goes and gets his brother Peter. Peter, you gotta come meet this guy. Jesus is like, Peter, I see you. One day I'm gonna have you walk on water, okay? So then we get into Matthew chapter four. At at the end of that passage in John one, then they go to Galilee. This passage in Matthew four is Jesus in Galilee, okay? So one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew. So there was, they've already been acquainted at this point. They were throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. So we can assume that Simon and Andrew actually have, uh, they're familiar with who Jesus is. Now, as Jesus continues on down the beach and works his way down to Peter, which we'll read here in these next couple of verses, maybe there wasn't familiarity there. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing the nets, and he called them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Um, So in the Amplified version, part of why I love the Amplified version is because what you have to consider is that as they've interpreted uh, the Hebrew text into the English language and and the Greek text into the English language, sometimes there's words that just aren't a direct parallel. Sometimes there's, maybe it's a word, but it's actually, its meaning is more of a phrase. It's multiple words in the English language. So what the Amplified Version does is it tries to fully express what the text meant in that day in the fullness of what was being communicated without cutting the words short. So in Matthew 4, 18 through 20, just wanna read the amplified version to you. It says, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Here's the fullness of what that phrase, follow me, means. As my disciples accepting me as your master and teacher, walking the same path of life that I walk. Follow me. It's immersive and it's invasive, okay? It's life-altering. It's life-changing. Follow me. You once fished for men? I'm gonna, follow me. I'm gonna teach you to fish for people, okay? Doctors in the room, you once healed people, now I'm gonna use you to heal spirits. Fitness coaches, you you once made people strong physically, follow me, I'm gonna teach you to make people strong spiritually. It's gonna change. You're gonna have new patterns. Your life is gonna look different. 
You're walking away from the old, walking into the new. And I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him, following his example. I read all that to say in Matthew 4, when Jesus calls to Peter and Andrew to follow him, we can assume they already actually have some knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. They know who he is. But I, I think as we observe Jesus' interactions with the two brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew, we learn something about Jesus. That maybe they know he's the Messiah, but maybe the, the heart of Jesus, really what he desires from his people is not that they would just know he's the Messiah, but he wants to be known by them. Come and follow me. I know they've had interactions. I know they, maybe they hung out at his house. They had a quick conversation, but Jesus is saying, I, I want more with you. Come and follow me. Doesn't want them to just know. Jesus isn't interested in just having a fan club who's starstruck and, and wowed when they run into him on the beach. There goes the Lamb of God! But he actually desires a deep, intimate relationship with us. Come follow me. Come follow me. And, and because there's this whole dynamic of he's our perfect creator and he's perfected what relationships are even supposed to be because he's the author of them, he's invited us in the room to follow him he desires that we follow, and not only that we follow him, uh, and, and, and not only that we follow him, but we help other people follow him, but because in following him, we experience life to the full. We experience life to the full. This call, follow me, is, it's still being whispered by the Spirit of God today. The call to be disciples of Jesus still remains today to all of us. He's invited all of us in the room to follow him. Now, as Jesus' earthly ministry unfolds, so does Jesus' his, his earthly fame and his clout. So, you know, uh, you, know you have Andrew and, and Peter who found out Jesus was the Messiah, but now Jesus is walking around casting out demons, healing people, teaching in the temple. He teaches with divine authority and ability. Miracles are happening wherever Jesus goes, power follows. And, and there's, this, there's this buzz about who Jesus is. Jesus, you know, it's funny, we talk about, we know that people dislike Jesus so much so that he ended up on the cross, but Jesus also had a lot of fans, a lot of people who came around and wanted to be a part and wanted to see the miracles and wanted to see all that. But, but as you read the text, what you'll find out is Jesus isn't just interested in kingdom fans. He's interested in cultivating a kingdom family. And I think part of the reason maybe the church has lost the priority of creating disciples is because we've removed the filters that Jesus refused to. Jesus knew lots of people were around. There were lots of people who wanted to follow and be part. There were lots of people who said, yeah, we want to come. Yeah, we want to be part. But Jesus said, okay, but do you know what it means to really follow me? Let's, let's look, Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. There was a lot of people there. There was a room full of 250 people. There was a large crowd. And he turned around and he said to them, hey, if y'all wanna be my disciple, I just, I just wanna make sure we're clear. 
I just want to make sure you understand what it means to really follow me. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everybody else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, you die to it. It's no longer the priority. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. We love to talk about the Jesus that saves the woman caught in adultery. We love to celebrate the Jesus that has compassion on the sick. We, we love that Jesus could walk on water and, and he helped Peter walk on water too. But, but maybe part of the reason the church isn't cultivating and producing authentic, genuine disciples of Jesus is because we've removed some of the filters Jesus refused to. Jesus understood pe- people loved the benefits of Jesus, the benefits of being around Jesus but they needed help understanding what genuine belief in Jesus actually looked like. To believe in Jesus is to follow Jesus, is to have faith in Jesus. If we're truly disciples of Jesus, we won't just believe in him, but we will behave like him. Follow me. This is what Jesus is expressing when he communicates to the crowd in Luke 14. If if you care more about the praises of people if you want to live to indulge your fleshly desires, if you want to be loved by the world, don't follow me. Don't follow me. If you're going to follow me, there needs to be a shift where you begin to live to, uh, to please God, not people, where you deny your own fleshly desires, where you understand the world will be offended by what you consider truth because it says this is right and whatever you're believing is wrong. It's offensive. The scriptures tell us, like, as the last times, as the end times approach, you will be hated and persecuted because of your faith. This, it's not just cool to follow Jesus Jesus said, I just want you to understand what it means. Jesus is saying, I know it's fun fun now, but a time is coming where it won't just be fun, but it will require faithfulness. There's a reason, uh, there's, there's a calling to die to ourselves. It's because we can't serve two masters. If we do not die to ourselves, we will never be able to follow Jesus the way that he's called us to. We can't hang on to the old and walk in the new. We can't continue to hang on to the old and operate in the new. When Jesus said, follow me to Peter and Andrew, he said to two fishermen, I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I might use the gifts you always had, right? I'm going to put it in. Life is going to look different when you follow me. What you existed for is it's gonna it's gonna look different. In essence, he's saying, "Hey, follow me. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a new identity. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm gonna give you a new purpose. You're not gonna do what you used to do. Life is gonna look different for you." And although Jesus has invited believers today to be his disciples, I I just don't know that the church is answering that call in full measure. There's a couple studies done, recent Barna study. Uh, 833 church leaders, pastors, discipleship leaders, and over 2,000 adults ages 18 and older. Uh, So this was a nationwide study they did of 
2,846 people. It revealed only 20% of Christian adults are involved in some sort of discipleship activity. 20%. 46% say they have a general desire to know Jesus more. And 41% say the desire to be more like Jesus. But only 20% are involved in discipleship activity. Another study of over 4,000 churchgoers found that only 19% of church attendees read their Bible on a consistent basis. Another study, over 2,300 churches from 15 mainline denominations found that less than 50% of those churches had any type of discipleship plan, and that's part of what we're working on. There's, there's ownership on, on both sides here. We haven't you know, maybe we haven't done the best job creating streams for discipleship in the church, for discipleship to flourish in the community. And maybe the way that we've always done this thing, Sunday's always been the priority. I think for much of the American church, Sunday's always been the priority. And that's the reason that you got someone who's been in church for 15 years, but they're still a toddler in the spirit because this has been their relationship with Jesus. And I'm just believing as, as we continue this conversation as a church, as we continue to follow Jesus, not just high-five Jesus on Sunday morning, but as we begin to follow him personally, collectively, we will experience a real spiritual maturing in this body. We will grow strong in spirit. So I'm excited for the next couple of weeks that are coming up. We'll talk about what does this look like practically? If I'm going to be a what does it look like to follow Jesus? What is that what does that calling look like? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? But here's what needs to happen as we enter into these weeks ahead of us. We need to start making room on the throne of our heart. If all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, and my purpose and significance and salvation is found in him, if he's the reason for my existence, we need to start preparing our hearts. We need to start recognizing in what ways have I stayed in the boat when he asked me to come follow him? In what ways have I been unwilling to follow and surrender and submit to really give myself away to being a disciple of Jesus? What's keeping me from my willingness to fully follow Jesus? Is it, is it the lie that I could never do it? That I'll never be good enough? That, that, I'm not, that I'm not spiritual enough to be faithful? Is it doubt that God is real, that he's there? Have I been unwilling to die to myself because I don't really believe his way is better? We need to ask the Spirit of God, search our heart. It's time we made room for the Spirit of God to invade our lives, to help shape and mold us into the image of His Son, Jesus. I'm not just talking about reading and praying more. It's not just about having uh, better religious duties and, 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 and this whole religious dance. This is about following Jesus, giving myself away to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus. I'm talking about being vulnerable enough to say, Jesus, I'm ready to give myself fully to you I want to make room for you do whatever you want thank you so much for joining us special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry it's because of you that this ministry is possible you can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends we love you and have a blessed week